Welcome to the Thunderbolts.info podcast for November 1st, 2012. We bring you the latest news, information, and analysis from the electric universe, shedding new light on the many mysteries that dark theories have yet to illuminate. The purpose of this feature is to help introduce the public to some of the personalities that are continuously discovering the electric universe and entering into relationship with the Thunderbolts project. There's a very interesting human element to what draws people into the electric universe. People of greatly varied backgrounds and interests who share the common traits of a curious mind and a desire to know the truth. Today, we're gonna be talking with a gentleman who has a unique ability to analyze scientific issues with clear, unwavering common sense, such that he can take some very complex issues and make them understandable to a layperson like myself. His name is Tom Wilson, and he's been responsible for really some of the most compelling and thought-provoking content that we've seen on Thunderbolts.info. Tom has a scientific background in biology, and that scientific reasoning is evident in Tom's analysis of cosmological issues that traditionally a kind of thought to be the mathematician's domain. So we welcome Tom Wilson to the show today. And Tom, it's been a while since we've seen your articles uh, in the Thunderbolts picture of the day. How long ago was it now that we first saw you uh, making your contributions on the website? Well, it was probably, Michael, about, uh, as you pointed out, about three or four years ago. And actually, um, I had become interested and aware of the work in the electrical universe maybe two or three years before that and gradually as I became more familiar with it and read the books I felt a very passionate need to contribute and become part of of this movement. Well it's always interesting to me to talk to people who have come to the movement. I can only imagine if you're a newcomer today and you're utilizing a tool like the internet, like the Google search engine. You go to Google and you enter the term electric universe, and you are every bit as likely to find material that is completely misleading and inaccurate as you are to find good material. How is it that you are able to kind of wade through this swamp of confusion and form your own conclusions about the electric universe? Well, just to give a little background, I was first drawn to the idea of an electrical universe uh, through a book called The Big Bang Never Happened by Eric Lerner. And, I mean, it was a very provocative and attractive title, and it pulled me in. And up to that point, I'd actually done a lot of reading into Big Bang theory, inflation theory, um, black holes, and I had been reading and educating myself about Einstein's field equations, um, reading about string theory and the attempts to try to fit physical theory under one set of elegant field equations. But I found that none of this really sort of explained the way the universe behaved. Lerner's book opened up my mind to an entirely new view of the universe. It was a universe of electrical transmission lines stretching across intergalactic space organizing and shaping galaxies in great sheets and like beads on filaments and it became evident to me that with these a force of 
39 orders of magnitude greater than gravity, these electromagnetic forces were quite obviously a much more dominant player in the evolution and organization of the universe. And while Lerner's book really provoked a basic shift in my philosophy and view of the universe, it only took things so far. When I sought out more work on this topic, it was then that I came upon the Electric Universe, and specifically the work of the Thunderbolts group. And it was through finding this group uh, in Thunderbolts that gave me that source of information you're talking about, a consistent and accurate source of, inf of information about the electric universe and some experts who were writing really seminal works on the electric sun and comets and so on. Mm -hmm. Now, whenever I'm looking into something that's a little bit controversial, I want to hear what the other side has to say or what the consensus has to say, the so-called skeptical community. I could only imagine if you went down that road and you tried to find some of the, the common criticism of the electric universe. Was that something that you even uh, wrestled with or were you, were you just kind of interested in forming your own conclusions without the feedback of, of the, quote, skeptics? No, actually, and perhaps it was unscientific of me, but I wasn't interested in, in at that time, at the skeptical view of the electric universe because... I was forming my own conclusions, as, as you say it. It's very difficult, and really it was a very exciting time. It's very difficult to fully convey the way the explanatory framework of the electric universe just was setting off a whole series of, con of conceptual explosions um, in any curious mind open to a predictive theory and real ob observations. A lot of this is based on reading in the Thunderbolts various types of observations that really, really reveal fundamental difficulties with everything we ever thought we knew about galaxies and stars, uh, comets. Once you start down that path of understanding all the logical consequences of the electrical model, it's just a whole chain reaction of conceptual revolutions occur in your own mind. Well, and this is a question that I'm sure some of the listeners have. Who is this guy? What is your uh, your background in terms of education and work? I actually do have a science background. I um, ha have a PhD um, in the biological sciences, actually. Um, but after I finished my doctorate and was looking at opportunities in postdoctoral work, at the same time, it became evident to me that science was not what I thought it was. And I thought science was a pursuit of the truth. And uh, an open, critical approach to new evidence. But it wasn't. What I found was that instead, theories that were in, entrenched were very difficult to assail. And it was more about getting funding and running labs uh, than it was about really sort of fundamentally modeling the way the world works. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I left science and went into went into industry instead, and uh, for the last almost 20 years have worked in semiconductors, um, which was a bit of a change. Mm -hmm. So the process that you went through actually firsthand in the scientific community, that do you think that made you a little bit more open to kind of the backstory of the electric universe and the feeling? See, this is one of the common criticisms that I see directed at the electric universe is if there was anything to it, mainstream astronomers, mainstream physicists would have no incentive to not be open to it. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, actually, I mean, it's very difficult to to create a paradigm shift in the way that we're used to, in the way that we've observed in the history of science. The pressures on postdoctoral fellows to publish is intense. The pressure on the researchers who administrate and run research labs is equally intense. The way that you get papers published in a peer-reviewed journal, the way that you obtain funding for a lab in peer-reviewed funding boards is by basically extending existing theories in ways that are predictable. It, you don't get funding, you don't publish articles if you undermine the current paradigm. And we're not working in a scientific environment like we were in the late 1800s where there were very, there was very valid amateur natural philosophers at work who could introduce new conceptual frameworks from a very valid standpoint outside of organized science. Well, what was one of the aha moments that you had? You mentioned reading Lerner's book. I'm interested in what aspects of the EU theory, what about that was most compelling and convincing to you? Well, it's interesting because there are some observations that actually made me go, huh? And you talk about a aha moment. And a lot of people talk about aha moments. I actually talk more about the huh moment where you hear about <laughs> an observation that just does not fit and you just it just it boggles your mind that this is observational data that exists that has not really been um, talked about more so here's some some questions that really gave me that kind of huh moment when I was learning about the electric universe things like why is it that the surface of the Sun at the photosphere for example is about 6,000 Kelvin but more than 2,000 kilometers away from the surface of the sun, it reaches over one million Kelvin. How is that possible? If the sun uh, is this thermonuclear campfire radiating heat and energy, and where's the inverse square law in all of this? That didn't make any sense. How is it that the solar wind accelerates as it moves away from the sun? That's, that's fascinating. That's in solar science. If you look at cometary theory, if the comet is this sublimating ball of dirty ice, this, this dirty snowball that we were taught in school, why are they observed to flare up well past the orbit of Saturn? Why is it that these sublimating snowballs emit x-rays or sometimes explode? We're not just talking about gently fragmenting, but energetically explode even at very great distances away from the sun. And so then you can talk about craters. And one of the things I learned in the in reading the various things in thunderbolts was why are craters so often observed to be hexagonal that's another big huh moment what possible impact model can explain that why are there so often orderly chains of craters lines of craters or the improbable but so frequently observed perfectly placed crater within a crater why are there a disturbingly long list of high redshift quasars observed in front of low redshift galaxies. That's a real problem for Big Bang Theory because it makes you wonder about whether redshift really is a reflection of recessional velocity. In fact, some of these high redshift, low shift objects seem to be physically connected to each other. So it's these kinds of observations that really sort of knock me back on my heels and, and, and made me think about a different approach. Mm -hmm. 
You mentioned the electrical scarring, the evidence for electrical scarring on planets and moons, the unusual crater patterns. My experience is that that particular issue is both probably the most interesting and compelling aspect of the EU theory, but it also seems to be the most difficult for people to accept or even entertain. Because, I mean, we're talking about planets hurling thunderbolts at one another. And there's a whole list of reasons why the traditional astronomers and planetary scientists will say that's not even possible. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, you sound like such a reasonable guy, and yet I know there will be people listening to this who have already dismissed the EU theory as pure uh, crackpot, pure pseudoscience. What about the case for electrical scarring in your mind is, uh, is most plausible? Well, I, I think there are so many examples of electrical scarring on the surface of, for example, Mars and on the moon and and elsewhere. And the the evidence and the observations, it's very difficult to to dispute. And when I look at hexagonal craters and lines of craters and the the overly fortuitous observation of craters within craters, it's obvious to me that it's electrical scarring. And when you compare it against the kind of electrical discharge machining that you see in, in the lab, it's it's too obvious. And the discussions that have been put forward in Space News and, else, and elsewhere with uh, this forum about Mars and the scarring on Mars, um, I accept that it's electrical scarring. How that all happened and the conditions under which it occurred, I don't know. Um, and I think there are some very good theories that are being put put forward. But that doesn't change the fact that the electrical scarring model explains these observations much better than than impact models or flowing of water. Um, in, impact models and water flow are inconsistent with the observations. And taken on the face of it, rationally, the conclusion is that it's electrical scarring, which should cause us to ask some very good questions about how that happened and enter into a discussion about that. Right. Well, it's interesting to me, in the electric universe hypothesis, it's the connectedness of all the different lines of evidence. You can't talk about comets without considering the, uh, an electric field of the sun. Same thing with electrical scarring on planets. You can't talk about the notion of an externally powered sun without talking about a larger electrical circuitry. What are your thoughts on that? This kind of interconnectedness of every line of evidence kind of supports another line of evidence. Well, and that's sort of what I mentioned in terms of once you begin to paddle out into the waters of the electrical universe, you're just you're swept away. There's a whole series of logical consequences once you begin down that path of accepting the idea of electrical currents in space. Once you accept the idea that, uh, for example, the sun is um, an electrical discharge phenomenon at the end of a very long and powerful transmission line, then it causes you to also think about comets. So a whole series of conclusions follow. Galaxies are electrically connected and powered. Uh, their flat rotational dynamics is a logical consequence of the galaxy as an immense DC homopolar motor. Uh, you don't need dark matter to explain or compensate for the rotational profile of galaxies. 
once you allow an electrical model to explain the dynamics and the e evolution of a galaxy, it's all explained and you don't need ad hoc dark matter. Uh, comets become just asteroids that are crossing regions of electrically different space. They're electrical discharge phenomenon with all the concomitant energies that you would expect to see from that sort of discharge phenomenon. Uh, there's UV and X-rays. The coma is uh, in glow mode and there's arcing, there's electrical arcing at the surface of the comet. So once you begin down that path of accepting electrical currents in space, it just flows. Everything is a logical conclusion of that and your whole world sort of goes topsy-turvy because things that you're used to thinking are solved are not. Uh, everything. And it was a very exciting time for me when I first began to explore this when I realized, oh, the sun, holy smokes, is not a thermonuclear ball that's radiating heat and energy and light in, into space. It's uh, plasma in arc mode. And comets are not dirty ice balls. They're actually rocks that are going through e electrical discharge phenomenon in space. And craters are not uh, due to impact, but are actually electrically machined. And it, everything just, the dominoes begin to fall. It's a, it's a very exciting process to go through. Indeed. And Perhaps it's not a coincidence that the Thunderbolts project has chosen the title, the tipping point for the forthcoming conference in Albuquerque, New Mexico. A lot of us do have this feeling that we are approaching that kind of threshold where the preponderance of evidence in favor of the electric universe is so great that ultimately it can't be ignored any longer. So. What do you think this ultimately is going to look like? What will this revolution look like? Or what is it finally going to take to reach that tipping point so that the electric universe theory will finally get its fair hearing? Well, I believe that more people will be drawn towards the explanatory power of the electric universe. It is inevitable. It's not a matter of if. I believe it's a matter of when. And we're seeing it even now. Uh, in the cometary and solar sciences, um, there are members of the mainstream expressing interest. And like all of us, they just want to un understand how things really work. It's why they became scientists and engineers in the first place. It will begin slowly. The word electricity and the electrical current will begin to appear here and there. Um, but the dominoes, like I said, are following. Um, they already are. The days, I believe, are numbered for things like dirty snowballs for comets or fusion-powered stars, dark matter, dark energy, black holes, even Big Bang. We need to be specifically measuring quantities, for example, in the solar electrical circuit. Radio astronomy can answer some fundamental questions about the intergalactic transmission lines that we talk about. And we just need more minds asking questions and testing and challenging the model. Uh, we need funding and research allocated to explaining an alternative view of the universe. It'll happen in fits and starts and at different times in these different research areas, but it's going to happen. And it's, I think the next two or three decades are going to be a very exciting time in the history of science. That's very good. Thank you, Tom Wilson, for joining us here today. This is the inaugural broadcast of the Thunderbolts.info podcast. This will now be a regular feature on Thunderbolts.info. Checking back, we will be posting uh, new broadcasts. And stay tuned to the Thunderbolts Project channel. That's youtube.com slash Thunderbolts Project. 
with all of the latest news on the electric universe. Thank you very much.